0: Bibles to Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10, we're just going to read verses 1 and 2 to kind of get us moving into this next section of scripture. Numbers chapter 10, let's read verses 1 and 2. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, make two silver trumpets of hammered work, you shall make them and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking the camp. So church, you know, as we sang those words this morning, like I I just hope and pray, you know, and and what's going to be a huge theme moving forward. Um, And and I'm going to pray here in a second. But what's going to be a huge theme moving forward is the people of Israel have been organizing and preparing. And then they begin to move into these spaces. And as they move into the coming spaces, they're going to navigate a lot of times of dishonor of themselves, of them dishonoring God, them uh, losing hope, losing faith, fi- facing enemies, facing this, the opportunity to move into the promised land later on, all these things that they'll face. But there's a constant reminder. And this, this thing that we've sang about all morning is the faithfulness of God through His work in Jesus Christ. In a world where truth is moldable Church, we cannot let go of the truth of who Jesus is. We can't teach, preach, or present anything less than Jesus Christ, Him crucified, and salvation through Him. Because when we lean into those things, above all things, everything else, and what we'll even see this morning, everything else, we see through the lens of faith of who God is and what God does in the greatest of victories and in the worst of messes in our life. So again, we pray and ask as we continue to allow Moses to write to us and how we are building up the kingdom that God has called us to be a part of, that we would just allow God to show us and reveal to us, look, what do we come in with? What do we have? Where do we struggle? Where do we fall short? Every one of us comes in with hands full of mess. Let's lay it before the feet of God this morning and see what he has for us. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you. God, we thank you for the truths that are far greater than ours. God, we thank you for the realities that are so bigger than who we are. God, and I thank you for the words of your revealed truth. God, speak to us in the victories. God, speak to us in our joys. God, reveal to us in our hardships and worries. And remind us of who you are, what you do you engage with and for your people. Father we just love you Lord we ask you to just bless this time Lord and let everything we do be for your glory and your honor and the kingdom to come. Lord we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Numbers chapter 10 you know and and as we've been talking about this series that you know I know if you've if you've done any looking then you see that there's like. 36 chapters in the book of Numbers, and you're thinking there's no way we're going to finish this before Advent, which starts at the end of November. But uh, it's about to accelerate after we get past this, I promise. But uh, Numbers chapter 10 is kind of a pivot point for, the, for this book, because leading up to this, we've seen a lot of organization. We've seen God kind of lay out details. We've seen God kind of put some things, and we kind of see a little bit of that here. And as we get into the end of the chapter, we begin to see some things that begin to be a normal theme as we move through the rest of the book of Numbers where we move from organization to now as we kind of get into chapters 11 on through like chapter 28 or 25 we begin to see another element of where God's calling them to move where what we've been reading has been them under the shadow of Sinai for over a year now and as we get into chapter 10 we see God preparing them to move out but with that movement with that movement we begin to see some from organization to disorganization, from satisfaction to dissatisfaction, to courage, from courage to fear, because there's an element thrown in there. It's that element of movement. It's the element of movement. And so, you know, I I really believe as we get through this and as we get into this, that we can see a lot of our own application in our spiritual life where we are very comfortable being where we are, right? We, 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 when we settle into a place, we get very comfortable in that space, doing what we do, living how we live, acting how we act, but where things begin to be shaken up is in the moment whenever life circumstances or God himself begins to call us to move, begins to call us to grow, to experience new things, to walk into areas where we have never experienced before. And so what happens is, is when when the children of Israel begin to get that call for movement, when they begin to be challenged to step outside of their comfort zone, is the moment when the disorganization, the dissatisfaction, the fear begins to set in. Because the thing we have to remember is that the shadow of Mount Sinai was not their promise. That was not what was promised to them. God had something bigger for them. God had something greater for them. But they had settled into this place for over a year. And then so God begins to call them, as we'll see here in chapter 10, call them to begin to move. Because Sinai was not their inheritance. You know, and and as we're getting into this, you know, there's a lot of times in our Christian lives where we settle in. We settle in. And what really happens in our Christian Christian lives when we begin to settle in is we begin to lose focus on the real promise. We begin to lose focus on the real call that God has for us because we settle into these very comfortable spaces under the shadows of our past. Sinai was their past at this point, but they settled there. Whereas God begins to develop with them these mindsets and mentalities to be ready to move, to be ready to move forward, to be able to grow. Because the thing is, church, and the thing we have to remember is the more comfortable we become in the spaces we are, the less welcoming we are to change. And the less we welcome change, the less and the less space there is for growth. Because without growth, uh, there's no growth without challenge and there's no challenge without change. And the comfort leads to complacency and the complacency is the enemy of character and spiritual growth in our lives. And, and so listen, don't, I'm not talking about this on a very superficial level. Like we're not talking about music and like ministry models and the way churches function. When I'm talking about change, I'm talking about God for you as an individual being pushed outside of the comfort zone of where you are spiritually and being open and welcoming to God challenging you, maybe as a parent, maybe as a spouse, maybe as a person in a space of influence and being ready and prepared to do what God has called you to do. So when we talk about that place of comfort being an enemy, complacency being an enemy to personal and spiritual growth, that's what we're speaking of. And what it does is that complacency and that comfort keeps us from moving in the directions of the promises that God has called us to. Whether it's in our personal lives, whether it's in leading our children, or whether it's in engaging with our spouse in in a way spiritually as we should. And so what Moses begins to do and what God uses in these moments is he's beginning to kind of set up this mindset mentality of, of preparing them to begin to take those first steps of faith forward, begin to move out of the shadow of Sinai, moving towards the promised place that God has for them. And so there's a couple of things that I want us to see this morning that I hope that we can see, maybe even the only, our own application in our own lives, where maybe God is challenging us to step out and to begin to move. And so the first thing this morning is this that God is calling them to is he's calling them to an attention to direction, attention to direction. And so in the beginning here of uh, Numbers chapter 10, he begins to tell them that he wants them to make two silver trumpets of hammered work. And he says, you shall, you, you shall make them and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking the camp. For summoning the congregation and for breaking the camp. And so there's some things going on here. Okay, up to this point God has been telling them and showing them some things. But now He's telling Moses, listen, you're going to build these instruments. And these instruments are going to be used for communication. They're going to be used for putting the sound out for the people to hear. And so He's telling them, you know, for, for them in their lives that it's not only about keeping their eyes open and seeing where the Lord is leading. Because remember before this they've been led by the by the pillar of fire they've been led uh, by they've been led by the cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night so God has been leading them visually and so now we're getting to this point where God is beginning to lead them through what they hear in this in this call that he's using these trumpets for so it's not only being eyes open but also being attentive to the direction the call of God to his God congregation and so that first place of knowing the direction God wants us to go is being attentive to what's going on around us in what God is calling us to. Because unless we're attentive, we'll miss what God is calling us to. And so he's telling them, listen, it's, it's more than just seeing now, it's, it's about hearing. You know, this is why the gospel, in one sense, the gospel can't just be a lived thing. It can't just be something that we do, even though it should be something that we do. It's got to be more than that. You know, just doing good for people, right? Just doing good works and doing good deeds Is not what sets us apart from the rest of the world. A lot of people do some really great things. I say this all the time. There are some people who don't believe in God, believe in things in contradiction to God, push against God. They do really great humanitarian things for the world that we live in. But what sets us apart as a people of God? It's the gospel. It's the spoken, revealed word of God that says that Jesus Christ came and bore the sins of humanity. The God of the creator, the universe, came down to earth and bore our sin in the form of Jesus Christ. There's a spoken gospel that we have to become comfortable with communicating about. And a lot of that starts in our own households, being able to have that conversation with our children, being able to have open dialogue about how we engage in spiritual things with our spouses. like This is unbelievably valuable in where we have to begin with this, but it's all about hearing. And for us as a church, the the truth, the attention, the direction has to come from what we hear. Say Now listen, it can't just be what we say. You know, James talks about it's got to be in what we do and what we say. And there's got to be this combination about what we believe and how we act. But we have got to be speaking this truth. Because people say a lot, right? People type a lot and put a lot out there. But there's got to be consistency to the truth that we present as the church in regards to who Jesus is and what Jesus, God, has called us to do. Romans 10.17 it says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through what? The Word of Christ. Hearing. There's a communication that we have a responsibility for, that we need to be willing to do and to say. You know, and I love this prophecy in Amos chapter 8, verse 11. And I think this should give us some perspective because I think it's very much a world that we live in now. Amos chapter 8 verse 11, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I was sent a famine on the land. He says, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. This is, this is literally where we live now. Not a famine. We have more than we could ever need around us, right? Like we're not hurting for much around here. And, and especially in, in our culture, in our nation. We are blessed in a lot of ways. But there is a famine happening and we see it we see it in reflections of all the things that are that are in authority around us or in over us that that our children are engaging in that the that 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 the culture is being driven by it is a famine it is a famine of hearing the words of the lord and in part in part, that's the problem of the culture and, the, and the, the, the issues that will constantly be around because of sin and all those things. But another problem with this, this famine, a contributory factor of this famine is the church itself. Because we're afraid to stand on truth, because we're afraid of hurting people's feelings, or we're afraid of being different, or we're afraid of being set apart. We're afraid of not being viewed amongst the accepted. And listen, we've talked about this before in our our series, The Outsiders. We are far beyond the day and age of being the cool kids at the cool table anymore as real Christians. Now, this doesn't mean that we, that we show hate or that we hurt people or that we push people away. No, but we need to be what God was building these people up to be, was to be something different. The world didn't need something that looked like them. The world needed something different. It needed something different to go to. It needed something of a different set of morals. You know, in this day and age, the morality of this day and age was horrific. Horrific was horrific basically the entire countries being no man's land where there was no governance and people could just do what they wanted can you imagine what people will do when left to themselves we're we're rotten people to our core sometimes We, we we do horrible things we need a moral code that is outside of ourselves and God has given us that it's, it's one of the things that proves that there's an existence of a creator or someone above us or bigger than us because we, we by nature, are driven by or live by a moral code that is not created by us. It's, 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 a, it's outside of us. There is a sound. There is something that needs to be spoken. And I love that he talks about this as an audible sound. This, and he tells them that, that there's a gathering of the congregation, that it's ascending all of this, this noise, this attention that is called by these trumpets. He said it's to gather the people together. It's to lead them in the direction they would go. Listen, that's what's so beautiful about what we get to do here on Sunday mornings and any time that we gather as a people of God is that we are gathered, we are reminding ourselves ourselves Of who we're in this with. Like what our goal is. When we sing these songs. Like yeah they're fun songs to sing. And it's fun to play instruments. And it's fun to just sing together. But there's a purpose to it. These are the trumpets making noise. Reminding us that we are gathered together. And that we are breaking camp to go out into the world. Into the war that God has called us to. And so he says. Continuing on in verse 2, he says, make two silver trumpets. There's a significance to the number two. You know, and I I think sometimes people can get a little too, like, about numbers in the Bible or in in the world or whatever. But, you know, there is a certain significance about certain numbers within the Bible and the way that they're used and the way that they're communicated. And the number two has a specific, has a very specific um, uniqueness to it especially in regards to this situation. Whenever you have these two trumpets and the, these two trumpets being used to summon the congregation together, to break camp and to send the people out. You know, one thing that we know that the number two signifies is it communicates union and unity. You know, when we think back to, to Genesis and we think about the union of a man and a woman in marriage together, like this is, this is communicating unity. So the number two communicates unity. You know, in the Old Testament, it said that, uh, that facts were verified by how many witnesses? By two witnesses. There's a verification that happens within that number of witnesses. In the book of Numbers, later on in Numbers chapter 13, we'll read that Moses sends out 12 spies to go out to the land to spy out and to see the promised land and where they would go and, and the enemy that was out there. And all twelve would come back, ten would complain and say, there's no way, this isn't for us, the battle's too big. But two, two would verify, two would verify, not only did two, two verify facts, but two verified that God is with us. Joshua and Caleb, they would say in that moment that when all the rest said that they couldn't be done, two would say, they would acknowledge God's faithfulness. They would acknowledge God's faithfulness. And then in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 2, Joshua sends two spies into the, into the land to spy it out for him. There's a significance there. And so he continues on in verse 9 when he's talking about these trumpets. You know, not only is it summoning and breaking the camp, but then in verse 9, we read and it says, And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets. That what? That you may be remembered before the Lord your God and you shall be saved from your enemies. He says, so when you go to war in your land against the adversary, then you shall sound the alarm with trumpets. And so there's this sound that's happening. This sound wasn't only to note, a notice to move, but a reminder of who God was. He said in, there in verse 9, he says, So that you would be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. So this sounding of the trumpets as they're entering into war was meant to be a reminder to them about who God is, about what God is doing, and where God has brought them. You know, I can just imagine that as they're communicating in this time and they're hearing these trumpets and they're preparing to go, that for the faithful there, they're remembering, man, remember where God took us from over a year ago. Remember the slavery that God rescued us from. Remember what God gave to us at Mount Sinai in His holiness and His direction. Even in our failure, God provided for us. He gave us manna every morning, even when we complained about it. So the sounds of the trumpets were not only to gather and to send out, but in the midst of war, it was to remind them. It was to remind them about what God was doing and who God was. Because a lot of times in the midst of our hardest situations, what's the first thing we lose? When things get bad around us, when things get bad in our world, when things get bad in our families, when things get bad in our marriage, when things get bad in the spaces that we navigate, what's the first thing we lose? The first thing we lose is perspective as a Christian. We lose perspective. Because what we do is we begin to focus so heavily. And that's what, as we see, move further on in the book of Numbers, even in Numbers 13, when they, when they send out the spies and the spies, what they see, the perspective that they have, is they see the enemy. They see the attack. They see the fear. They see all these things, you know, and... I started to think about it kind of like this, in a sense of like, you know, when you hold your hand in front of your eyes, you know, when it's right here in front of your eyes, like I literally can't see anything but my hand, right? And my hand seems so big and it seems so consuming and it seems like every, there's nothing else there but my hand, right? But when, I'm, when I begin to move, move my hand away, Right, and begin to move it away, changing my perspective of my hand by moving it away into its proper place, what do I see? I see that there's so much more there. I see there's so much more around it. I see that there's so much more to be seen, to be dealt with, that that so much more to help, so much more to participate, so much more to be a part of. In a lot of ways, that's how we lose perspective with our problems, with our issues, with the, the enemy in our lives, is that we allow him to take a place that he's not meant to be right here covering up everything else where we lose perspective of what's really going on when God has called us to and what these, trumpets were meant to do is remind the people to fix your perspective of how it's supposed to be. Put the enemy where it's meant to be. Don't forget where God is. The enemy's here. The enemy's much smaller than what we think. When we allow the enemy to be here, he covers everything up. It it helps us. It isolates us. It tells us that there's no one around. There's nothing around. There's nothing bigger than the enemy. When I'm here, there's nothing that seems bigger than my hand. There's nothing that seems more consuming than my hand. But when we move it into perspective, we see that it's so small compared to everything else. And what God wants his people to do is when they hear the trumpet. It's in the midst of battle. They're reminded to put the enemy in its proper place. Put the enemy's attack in its proper place. Does it hurt? Yes. Does Does it shake us up? Absolutely. But don't forget who God is and where God is in the midst of it. Put the enemy in its proper place. Have a proper perspective of it. You know, and I love, you know, Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 28 is a great situation of this. When we see Peter and John, they're standing before this religious council that is telling them, you will not preach the gospel. You will not talk about Jesus. If you do, we will put you in prison. If you do, you will be killed. If you do, there will be punishment. And so what happens, what happens in the midst of this right after that in Acts chapter 4, verse 24 through 28, he says, and when they heard it, And when they heard it, said they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? He said, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed for truly in this city. They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. He says, listen, God, all of these things, we know that you are the sovereign creator and maker of the universe. And even though there are all these people that were in line to push back against Jesus, that you allowed to be in spaces to hurt Jesus, to crucify Jesus, to bury Jesus, all those things. He said, holy God, we know that you worked all those things out ultimately for your good to do what you wanted to do. What's the proper perspective of the things that we're navigating in life? God is in control. God has his hands in it. God's in the midst of it. And just like he did with the life and the death of Jesus, that God will use even our worst situations, even our biggest mistakes that we obviously want to avoid, but in the midst of them, when they happen only through God, nothing is wasted. And he uses that mess and he makes it into something marvelous to grow us, to teach us, to show us who he is and what he does so that at the end of it, we can say, man, God, that was not me because I made a mess of it. That was you. You took all of that and you grew me into something bigger you made me into something stronger and that's what God does there's a confidence despite the opposition despite the change in environment and location there's a confidence that we can carry as a people of God as we navigate out of our comfort zones out of the spaces that we have settled into as Christians as a church And so then Moses prays this in verse 35. He says, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. This is Moses, a prayer that he says, a blessing at the end of this chapter. He says that they may have been afraid. You know, these people, they may have been afraid to move. They had been there for over a year. And so there there had been this fear of what is out there. You know, what's to come? What's ahead? They had no clue. But the blessing and the prayer that Moses prays is something that I believe we can truly learn from. And so what he's telling them is this, look, listen, for one, it's not about the position or the place we're in. But in the presence that we enjoy as God's people. You know, as as a people of God... There's always going to be this navigation that we have as as a Christian parent, as a Christian spouse, or a Christian uh, employee in the workforce that we're navigating new spaces that we don't know. But the thing we have to remember is, listen, it's not about the position. But it's about the presence that we enjoy. And the Bible tells us that we, as a Christian, we're indwelt with the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, and the same Spirit that brings about victory for the people of God in the Old Testament is that same Spirit that dwells in us, and God leads us through that Spirit. And so we enter into the spaces of battle that we navigate with that Spirit of confidence. And I love Moses said this. See, Moses' battle cry here. <clears throat> Moses, I love this, Moses identifies with God by saying, when he's talking about the enemies that they will inevitably face, what does he call them? He doesn't call them our enemies. What does he call them? Your enemies. I love that. I love that identification that we can have with our holy God. That the enemies that stand up against us, and listen, I'm not talking about enemies that keep us from getting to getting stuff, or like getting rich, or or getting healthy, or getting comfortable, No, I'm talking about the enemies of sin that plague our minds, that plague our families, that plague our our situations. He says here, he says, listen, God, these are your enemies. These are your enemies that are stacking up against us. And Moses acknowledges that they're going into unfamiliar territories. But Moses chooses to see the situation through eyes of faith, having confidence that God is there. That these are your enemies, God, that you will scatter the enemies. Because where is the enemy the weakest? The enemy is weakest when it's scattered, not when it's together. And so I love that. I love how God enters into, Moses enters into this with God with a battle plan, knowing that the weapon against the enemy is God being able to scatter that enemy that he is sovereignly over that he is in control of, that he has authority over. And so the first thing being attention to the direction. The second thing being this, that as a people of God, when we know, we've experienced, when we have the confidence in who God is and we're preparing to move and we're moving in our lives and we're going in the direction God has called us to, the second thing is this, is that we are giving out an invitation to participation. An invitation to participation. This is where for us as parents, we have a responsibility. This is where for you as Christian people, just in the space of influence, whether it's in this church or in a group or in a classroom or in a workspace, wherever it is, we have an obligation to an invitation of participation. That felt good. And we see this really awesome moment in Numbers chapter 10, verse 29. Really awesome moment that I want us to read together. Let's read in 29. It said, And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Raul, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, says, We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will do good to you, for the Lord has promised good to Israel. So I love this, that Moses goes to his brother-in-law. He goes to his brother-in-law and he tells him, listen, we're heading out. We're heading out to the place that God has promised us, to the things that God has promised us to do. Listen, there's a lot of uncertainty there. There's most definitely going to be enemies there. There's going to be potential opposition that we don't know, but God has promised good to us. Man, can you hear the evangelization in Moses' voice as he's leaning towards his family? And he's like, come be a part of what we're doing and what God is leading us to. I love it. With very little information that Moses has other than what God has told told him. Limited resources, but a confidence to know wherever God will lead him will be far better than anywhere that he could lead himself. So he says to his brother-in-law, he says, come on, come on. And so this is part of our obligation as Christians, as we move into the spaces that God's called us to, as he builds us up, prepares us and begins to give us direction on where we should go. Is that we are constantly, constantly delivering invitations of participation. And I love how for Moses, he started at the people closest to him. He went to his family. Listen, and I know we can get really overwhelming overwhelmed when we think about evangelizing and, and, and discipling people outside of these walls and going out and inviting people to church or this or that or whatever it might be. Listen, God has placed people in our homes that are easy targets. Why? They can't get away from us, right? Our kids can't escape. Our spouses, I mean, I guess they could, but... They're, they're, they're fair. And they, we have their ear. To be constantly just spewing out this invitation and to pursue the goodness that God has. To pursue the promises that God has. God has given us a space to practice this. to, to, to the, the most important, valuable space to play this out. In evangelizing the people in our households. That share our family names. Church, the height of selfishness is being content to go to heaven alone. And we should desperately want other people to be there with us. But then we see his response. Moses' brother-in-law, in in verse 30, he says, but he said to him, I will not go. He says, I will not depart. He said, I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. You know, he said, he said, I'm going to look. Thanks, but I'm going to go my way, place where my people are, my comfort zone. You know, I can just imagine that he did not want to sacrifice comfort and security for what seemed like an unknown future. You know, and I I think this is a common place. This is a common experience that maybe we have with evangelizing people, sharing our faith with people, inviting people to be a part of what we are. Maybe even our kids. Listen, and 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 I'll say that lightly. It's it's tough to evangelize in our homes. I get it because, number one, the people in our homes know the worst about us. And so they're going to challenge us. They're going to make it hard on us to do what God has called us to do. And it should be hard. Because they need to know that it's not worth quitting on. That it's not worth letting go of. That it's not worth pushing to the back of my mind. That it's not worth pretending like it's not a big deal. That it's not worth acting like it's not the most valuable, important thing that they will experience (coughs) in their lives. is the goodness and the glory of God's promises for their lives. And so this man responds in a very common way. I think most of our culture, most of the people you're around who either aren't Christians or have disconnected from the body of Christ through time or distance, whatever it might be, it's a very similar reaction, right? I'm just going to go my way. Like I'm going to go do my thing in my space where I'm comfortable. You know, we, we've been convinced that the American dream or the, 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 the goal of life is to be comfortable, right? The goal of life is to, you know, to have everything you have, to retire, to not do anything, to disconnect. Like, that's the goal of life. But man, God's goal for us is so much different than that. God has given us a limited amount of time on this earth to do one thing, and that's to make his name known. And to grab a hold of as many people as we can on our way to eternity. He's given us all of the tools to do that. And he's challenged us in that, knowing that many of the responses are going to be exactly like this. Listen, I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to go to my space with my people. Because I'm comfortable there. But then I love Moses, how he continues on and gives us an example of as we evangelize and present this invitation of participation, he doesn't give up And I love, I can just feel Moses' conviction in this moment. As as he has his attention on the detail and direction that God has called him to, he begins to send out this invitation to his family. He says, listen, I want you to be there with us. God has promised good for us. God has given us something. And the response that I know had to be heartbreaking was, no, I'm going to go to my own space. I'm going to go to my own people. Then what does Moses say? I love this and I wish we could have this kind of passion and commitment when we lean into the spaces that we want to see God do a work in people's lives. He says, please, please do not leave us. I love the personal connection that he has there. He could have said a lot of things, but what does he say? He doesn't say, please don't leave God. He doesn't say, please don't leave the work that we've called you to. He doesn't say, please don't leave this space. He says, please don't leave us. There's a personal connection there. I think the problem that the church has with reaching people sometimes is sometimes we make people feel like it's an agenda. Like, I'm just trying to get you a part of what I'm doing to build and to stack my numbers. To make me feel better about what I'm doing. Because if you're here, then it brings validation to what I'm doing. When in reality, what we need to have as Christians is a confidence in what we're doing. So that when we invite people into it, we're legitimately bringing them into something that we truly believe in. Rather than needing numbers to feel like it's accomplished. He says, please don't leave us. Moses is showing a personal love in connection to this person. And this is how we evangelize. This is how we we reach the world around us. We show them that we're not inviting them as a part of an agenda. Some church growth program where we're trying to get butts in a seat. No, I want you to be here because I want you here. Please don't leave us. You have a value. And what we see as we continue on, he says, you have a place here. You have something that you can participate with. You bring to the table. You have value. You have importance in the kingdom of God. That's what we need people to know. We need people to know that there's a place for them. And he continues on. He says, please do not leave us for you know where we should camp. He says, you know things, you have value. You bring something to the table. He says, you know where we should camp in the wilderness and you will serve as eyes for us. Man, that's, that's, that's major. Right? He's not only asking them to be a part of what, he, what they're doing to experience the goodness that God has for them. He says, you have something that you can contribute. There's value in your gifts. There's value in your knowledge. There's value in what you bring to the table. Every single person that lives on planet Earth is driven by one thing. I'm telling you, all of us are driven by one thing, and it's personal identity. I mean, in reality, all of our social issues, all of the landscape of everything that we do, everything that's sold to us, everything that we watch, everything that we're fed, is all around reinforcing personal identity. Who we are, what we do, and how we live, and how much control we have over it. And I love... Moses leaning in to this moment he says listen your your identity is not out there everything that you have and can do God wants to use right here with us and experiencing the blessings and the promises of what God has we need to let people know listen they're never going to find the validation of their identity anywhere outside of the space of what God is doing That's where true identity comes, that's where true value comes, that's where true importance comes, that's where true worth comes from. Listen, we're scratching at the wall trying to find validation and God is constantly inviting His people into this space of validation to know, listen, even somebody like me and my insecurities and my weaknesses and the places where I fail constantly, God still has space for me to be used. For you, the same thing where you have weaknesses, where you have faults and failures. Listen, and we see that even in the way that God puts people together in marriage. You know, two people who are married, and I don't know about you, but me and my wife are so different, but the places at which we're different help the other person, right? Because that's what it's about. That's why marriage is such a beautiful picture of the gospel and what God does for us, because it's meant to be this complementary relationship where each person enters into it with their own weaknesses, failures, and holes, and the other person fills that gap. You know, the whole, like, you complete me thing. I know that's, like, cheesy and weird, but, like... That's what we do for each other. And that's what the people of God, the Bride of Christ, what we do for each other is we fill the gaps of where we're weak, where we fail. Listen, this, any success of a ministry or any success of anything we do, it's never going to be because of one person. Because that one person inevitably is going to have failures or some type of weaknesses that eventually are going to be magnified and be a part of the downfall. The only way that we ever have success as a church is because each and every one of us are leaning into the same space in the same direction, filling in the gaps of where I'm weak, of where Garen's weak, of where you're weak, of where the worship team's weak, of where our our teachers are weak, because we're all going to have some type of issue. But it's when we lean in it together, we bridge the gaps of where our brokenness is so that we can truly do the work that God has called us to. And so that when someone, say, looks at me and they say, well, you're not very good at that. It's like, yeah, I'm not very good at that. But you know who is? This person. And I thank God that they're a part of what we're doing. There's that personal, intentional acknowledgement of the gifts that Hobab had. So that he could be invited into what God is doing. And so and then you may say well I mean why do they need someone to be their eyes isn't God the one leading them why do they need someone to be their eyes but the beautiful thing about all of this is that God leads church but he allows us the opportunity to see our gifts used in his plan to help his people I mean that's what Moses invites him to he says come be a part of God's plan to help his people by doing something obviously that God can do we don't God don't need our eyes But he still invited him in to be the eyes for God's people, to participate. Listen, all of us have value in the work that God is doing in the lives of the people in this community and in this local church. You all have gifts. You all have things that you can contribute with. And a lot of times we could say, well, God don't need what I have. Like, God doesn't need me to do this because either so-and-so will do this or, or, or God can just do this himself. But God invites us in. It's part obligation, but number two, it's part opportunity. Like it's the celebration of the sovereignty of God still leaning into and inviting man to have some responsibility. Listen, God could do all of this without us ever doing a single thing, but He invites us in. Listen, when we pray, it's not always so much us praying to change God's mind, but it's us praying to line ourselves up with what God's doing. And so he invites us, He invites us to be a part, to use our gifts, to use what we have. And then Moses, and we'll end with this. Moses says here in verse 32. He says, "And if you go with us, I love it. Moses don't give up. He keeps selling it strong. He says, "If you'll go with us, whatever good the Lord will do to us, and I need you to catch this, because this is important. He says. Whatever good the Lord will do to us, he says, the same we we will do to you. Did you catch that? He didn't say that whatever the Lord will do to us, the same the Lord will do to you. He says, this, whatever the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. Church, I read a quote this week. It says, when the church was the least like the world, the church did the most for the world. When we have been blessed by God, we have a responsibility. That there are people around us. There are people that you engage with, your children, your spouse, whatever it might be. There are people that we engage with. that a lot like Hobart are saying, I'm going to go my own way, do my own thing, go to my own people, my own comfort space. And then Moses gives us this example of persistent, intentional invitation. And I love the way he ends it because he doesn't shift responsibility to God. What does he do? He says, what God will do for us, we will do for you. We will work. We will lean in. We as Christians will do the legwork. We will do the evangelizing. We will do the serving. We will do the loving. We will do the communicating. We will do the mercy. We will do the provision. We will do what God is Pouring over us in grace and mercy and giving and and, and protection and and, and safety and courage and all those things. We, he says, we will do that for you and your family. We will pour that over you, church. That is our responsibility. That's what God has called us to. As we get the attention for the direction he's called us to, the invitation comes. Not only to experience what God is doing, but to reap the benefits of what God's people do for each other. Leaning into the space of where we're at. Doing the things that God has called us to do through the hope and work of Jesus Christ. Listen, let me get the band to come up and we're going to just worship together and just acknowledge who God is. And I pray that we take this time this morning. I pray. I pray that that, that we would be honest and recognize. That we would recognize within ourselves the fear for one that is keeping us from being attentive to the direction that God has called us to. The summoning together, the gathering together, the sending out, being willing to step into spaces of uncertainty and and unknown and walk in the confidence that the sovereign God of the universe is in control. But then the last thing and the most important thing is understanding that within that direction, God has given us the ability to send out an invitation to be a part of it. Not only to experience the promises of God, but to experience the work, experience the work of God's people for each other. Listen, and I know a lot of that hinges on creating a space where it's okay to be a little vulnerable and in need. And I pray that we can always have that. Listen, a church is not supposed to be this place where everybody comes and has it all put together. The church is a place for people needing healing, spiritually, physically, people that are hurting, people that need a place, people that need community, people that need acceptance. All hinging on the truths of God without compromise. We can do that. We can present truths of God in love and care and compassion without compromising the realities of those truths. face, in the invitation, we're going to face the, no, I'm just going to go my way. Do my thing. Go my direction. But what does God tell us and what does Moses give us? Church, let us not give up too easy. Let us be passionate. Let us be committed to the calls of inviting people to be in the midst of the promises of God. And not only that, it not be empty promises so that we can, like Moses, can say if you will come, Everything that God has done for us, we will do for you. I'm not waiting for God to do it. I'm going to do it for you. You need to be shown love. I'm going to show you love. You need help at home. You have some kind of financial burden. I'm going to help you with that. You need just a shoulder to cry on. I'm that. You need to be encouraged. I'm that. Let's stop putting that off for God. Let's stop asking God to disciple our children. Let's lean in and disciple our kids. Let's not stop. Let's stop waiting for another church or another person to do something in our community. Let's step up and let us do it. As God has done for us, I will do for you. This morning, and every morning that we gather like this, it's our opportunity to engage with God on a personal level. And I pray that you do that. As we sing, I I ask that you pray, even if a word isn't coming out of your mouth to sing with us, that you would pray this morning. Maybe you need someone to pray with. Listen, there are people here. I know Garen's in the back and there are other men and women here that would love to pray with you. If you've got something specific, something you're navigating, let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. You know, if you're you're navigating a fear of some type of uncertainty, some space where you've been living under a shadow of Sinai for so long that you're afraid to move out from under that. Let's pray through that. Pray through that in this moment as we sing about who Christ is, that you pray through that. And then maybe. Maybe you've never accepted Christ as the Lord of your life, given over the reins and said, Lord, it's all yours. I can't do anything without you. I need the salvation that only you can provide me. The Bible tells us if we repent and believe that we shall be saved. And then you know what? Then we get to celebrate with you when we dunk you in our little Intex hot tub with water in it as a representation of your old self being buried and your new life being risen again. Listen, it's warmed now. It's not cold anymore, so it's not miserable. Listen, we love to celebrate those things. It's the ordinances God has called us to. We take communion and as a Christian, you take it and the Bible tells us to do it in remembrance of him and what he's done. This is the beauty of what we get to do as Christians. We get to celebrate the story of God's kingdom and what he does for his people as he's building us up and preparing us to do the work he's called us to first in our homes and second in our community. I gotta stop. Let's pray together. And I, I just ask you to seek Him. Seek Him passionately this morning. And if you need to pray with someone, find someone to pray with. And let's seek that together. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for the hope that you provide only in your Son, Jesus Christ. Pray, Lord, I pray this morning as we sing and we celebrate, Lord, that it would be your glory that is seen and known, Lord, in all our uncertainties and all our weaknesses and all our failures and all our need for answers and acceptance. God, I pray we find those things in you. Lord, I just ask your blessing over this time and I just ask that you would work through us in almighty way. God, give confidence, give courage this morning to seek you diligently. Lord, we love you. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, stand.